Hello and welcome to Kaplan's NCLEX PrepCast, sponsored by KaplanNursing.com, offering NCLEX preparation courses for both the NCLEX RN and NCLEX PN examinations. Today, what we're going to be talking about is a subject that a lot of students struggle with when it comes to the NCLEX, and that's trying to figure out exactly what you need to know in order to answer all of those pharmacology questions that come up on test day. And I am joined by Jenny Collins, who is an NCLEX instructor here at Kaplan. She has over 20 years of experience in the nursing field and has been an instructor for over 10 years and has been with Kaplan for over three. And I'll let Jenny introduce herself a little bit more in today's discussion and looking forward to kicking things off. Well, hello. I am so glad to be here. Thank you for having me today. Um, like Matt said, my name is Jenny. Um, I have been teaching for, I guess, almost 12 years. Um, I started with Kaplan a little over three years ago and absolutely love it. Um, I actually enjoy those emails that I get from students saying they passed and they were able to tackle it and beat that in click. So that always makes me very happy. Um, I would definitely agree with Matt. We've got those three top um, covered areas or client area needs on the NCLEX, and one of them just so happens to be pharmacology and parental therapies. And so that is a tough area for students of there's just so much to know and how do I get started, and it gets overwhelming at times. So I'm glad to be here to share anything I can today. And it is absolutely an honor to have you with us, Jenny, and you are no stranger to the uh, Kaplan podcast or video world. In fact, you did a pharmacology video for us on Facebook Live just a few months ago. And for anyone who is listening in at home, I definitely encourage you to go and check it out. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash Kaplan NCLEX Prep. And Jenny gave a fantastic discussion and live Q&A uh, answering all students' questions about pharmacology. So Jenny, really great to have you here. And uh, thanks for the introduction as well for adding some more context to your background. And one thing that I really like to ask in just my everyday encounters with students here is what, in, what first inspired you to become a nurse? Because I find that there's just so many interesting stories out there. So <laughs> Jenny, I'm really curious to know, and I'm not sure I've actually asked you this question before, but what is your story? What brought you into the nursing field? Okay, I'm sort of embarrassed to share it, but I actually went to college <laughs> to be a veterinarian, and I decided I didn't like everybody else's animals. I only liked mine, and so I had to find something different, and I, in all honesty, I woke up one day and decided, you know, I think I'll go to nursing school, and I even had to transfer colleges because I was not in a college that had a nursing program, but literally, I can't tell you the exact moment or the what made me want to be a nurse, but I have never, ever regretted it. I have enjoyed it um, immensely and I have my own 11 animals so I, I guess I can play nurse to my animals but um, I did go technically to go to be a veterinarian but that just didn't work out as what I thought I had planned. Wow well I'm, I'm glad I asked you that is definitely an interesting story so thank you <laughs> thank you for sharing uh, definitely not an embarrassing story I think it's a cool story so uh, well, let's go ahead and dive right in because I know every listener out there is wanting to learn a lot about pharmacology and is anxious to know what they need to know in order to succeed on the NCLEX when it comes to these uh, farm questions. So, uh, Jenny, I know you've addressed this before. There are so many drugs to know in 
not only just the nursing world in general, but especially when it comes to the NCLEX. So how exactly is somebody supposed to learn and study all of these drugs? And that is probably the number one question I either get asked in class or asked via email. And I always tell them, worry about three things. And the three things are, what classification does this medication fall in? What is the family that this medication is? And what are some safety concerns? So for instance, if I look at antihypertensive meds, that's a massive classification of meds. I mean, it covers hundreds of meds, but at least I know that's the purpose of this med is to decrease blood pressure, okay? Go to your next step, families. Families usually have the same last name, which is pretty nice for when we're memorizing medications because for instance, if you're looking for a certain type of medication called an ACE inhibitor, they all end with P-R-I-L, prills and so anytime so instead of memorizing the eight prills what I can do is just anytime I see the, the last suffix or the last name prill oh I know this is an ACE inhibitor it's a certain type of medication that decreases blood pressure and then because the major thing that the NCSBN which is the National Council of State Boards of Nursing those are the people who write the NCLEX what they're really looking for is can you be a safe nurse can we safeguard the public? Do you know how to take care of your patients safely and effectively? Then when you're looking at all those lovely side effects, and there's hundreds of them, pay attention to your safety side effects. For instance, ACE inhibitors cause annoying cough, and then the patient will stop taking the med. And if they stop taking the med, then we've got increased blood pressure that can increase the risk for cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, that kind of stuff. So anything that has to do with safety side effects, whether it's hypotension, which means they could fall because their blood pressure is so low, or causes them to do something such as ACE inhibitors cause a cough, which means the patient's going to stop taking their med, which would be horrible, or if there is something that causes um, hepatotoxicity, um, damage to the liver, renal toxicity, any kind of toxicity, you can't memorize everything. But what you can do is look at the major components of a medication, their classification, what it's used for, the family, what type of medication is this? It'll have this, most of the time, have the same last name, thank goodness, and then a safe, some safety side effects. That's usually what you're going to be tested on on the NCLEX. That's great to know. And I, a question that I, I often get from students as well when I'm out there and is, is I think, a valid concern is whether the NCLEX uses the brand names of drugs or the generics. So which, which is the NCLEX testing right now? Right. They're actually been testing for a little bit over two years of just the generic name. And here's why. Because our test, because the NCLEX is a national test, so it doesn't matter if you're in Hawaii, North Carolina, or even Canada. Um, it is a national test, and that way it has to look at a med that we all use and would know the name of. So therefore, it's only going to use generic names. So for instance, the medication Tylenol, we all know that one, um, is a brand name. That's the brand name of that drug. But the generic name that no matter where you are, it's always going to be called acetaminophen is what you will only see on the NCLEX. So just generic names. Awesome. Yeah. And that's, uh, again, that's something I, I'd heard and a lot of students ask that question. So I figured we might as well uh, address that on the podcast here as well. 
And a really great introduction to figuring out how we can possibly study for all these drugs. And I know you talked a bit about side effects. And one of the side effects I know that we see on the NCLEX is those anticholinergics. So, I, and I know you in particular have a, a really awesome mnemonic for, uh, <laughs> you know, for anticholinergic side effects. So what, what do students need to know? What do we need to know about anticholinergics? Well, there's a massive number of medications that call this certain side effect, called anticholinergic side effects. Anticholinergic side effects pretty much mean it's a side effect that dries up the fluid in the body. So it would dry up um, salivation, so your mouth would be dry. It would dry up being able to go to the bathroom, so you wouldn't be able to urinate as much. It dries up even the saliva in your mouth, so your mouth is dry. It dries up the GI system, so people complain of constipation. Well. This is, many students know this way, and I'm going to do the nice way. It is called, I can't see, I can't pee, I can't drool, I can't stool. And it's a way to remember, I can't see, dries up the fluid in my eyes. I can't pee, can't go to the bathroom, so it's drying up urine. I can't drool, my mouth is dry, and I can't stool. Obviously, I can't go to the bathroom due to constipation. And there's a massive amount of drugs, such as your anti-Parkinson meds, your antihistamines, um, your antipsychotics, your anti-emetics. Those are medications called anticholinergic side effects. So anytime you see that, you obviously need to think about, I can't see, I can't pee, I can't drool, I can't stool. And the reason that's important, let's go back to safety, is if you're concerned about I can't see, then these medications will be contraindicated for a patient who has glaucoma, who already has drying of the eyes or an increased intracranial pressure. So you wouldn't want to give them a medication that has a anticholinergic side effect. Great. Awesome. Awesome to know. And uh, I know anticholinergic side effects are really just one of the many side effects we need to know. So what are some other specific side effects that students need to be aware of when they're studying for the NCLEX? That's a really good question because a lot of times you'll see It'll say anticholinergic side effect. And you're like, well, what the heck is that? So that was one way to memorize. There's another one that you may see. It's a broad a definition, and it's called extrapyramidal side effects. And it's for medications, usually your antipsychotic meds, your atypical antipsychotic meds, cause this group of side effects called extrapyramidal. And it's usually induced by the drug you're taking. So if you stop the drug, they'll go away. But they would include, they usually include movement disorders or movement side effects. For instance, there's dystonia. So that's a continuous spasms, like you're constantly moving all the time. There's akesthesia, you're restless. In other words, you can't stop your leg from moving. We have Parkinsonism, that means your body's, the movement is so rigid you can't move. We have tardive dyskinesia, which is irregular jerky movements. A lot of students or people think about the tongue sticking out of their mouth and they can't bring it back in. Those are typical extrapyramidal side effects. But the one and only one that's even more concerning um, that can be life-threatening is neuroleptic malignant syndrome. And it is a type of side effect. It's definitely part of the extrapyramidal side effects, but it causes fever, rigidity, and autonomic instability. The body cannot control itself, and it is an emergency side effect. So, for instance, I'm on a question you saw all of these extrapyramidal side effects, the one you want to be really concerned about, because I can stop the medicines and the rest of them will most likely go away. But that neuroleptic malignant syndrome is the one that's very much an emergency and you need to be most concerned about. 
Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. So good to know. And uh, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, we know there's a, there's a lot of side effects to know, but uh, good to get us started and at least a few things that we need to worry about when we begin NCLEX preparation. And turning back to specific drugs, I know that on the NCLEX, we do see insulins come up and there are questions that involve insulin. So is there anything we need to know specifically about insulins? Well, I think a lot of students get frustrated because there are certain things that you are going to have to memorize. And insulins are one of those that you're just going to have to memorize for the rest of your life. And I have a couple suggestions for that. If you will write down all of the insulins, like your rapid acting, your short acting, your intermediate, and your long acting, write the names of those meds, generics, write the names of those types of meds, and then know the onset and the peak. Now, if you write that on one sheet of paper and take a screenshot with your phone, and then save that to the wallpaper of your phone. Now think about how many times we all look at our phone in a day, 100, 75, 80. Then every time you look at your phone, bam, right there, you're going to be able to remember that onset and peak of rapid acting, short acting, intermediate, and long acting to the point that you may not even have to memorize it because you've seen it so much. So that's the first thing I would suggest. That is very important to know all of your insulins. The other thing that I think we all learned in school, but we learned it in a way that was, here it is, but you never saw it in action. And when you see it in action, it makes a connection. The one thing I think we don't think about is something called diabetic sick day rules. And here's how it goes. Everyone, me, you, I don't have diabetes, but anybody who is sick, and that sick can be nausea and vomiting, that sick can be diarrhea, that sick can be I'm going in for a procedure, it can be the fe- a fever, it can be the flu, it can be stress. All of that causes the glucose in your body to increase for everybody. Well, that doesn't bother me because I'm not insulin-dependent diabetic. I'm not a diabetic at all. So if I have that increase in glucose, my body compensates. Mm, That's a problem with your patients who are diabetic. So when patients who are diabetic get sick or stressed in one way or the other, like I said, it can be hospitalization, it can be surgery, it can be stress, it can be the flu. You need to remember they have got to check their glucose more often, more like three and four times a day rather than just twice a day or five times a day. Whatever it is, I double it what they normally do because you want to see, oh, do I need to be covering them with more insulin, with more medication so that they can stay as well as they possibly can, but I need to make sure that I'm doing this. So that's what we call diabetic sick day rules. You got a diabetic, they're sick, please make sure you're checking that glucose um, more often than you usually do. Uh, And I'm glad you brought that up, the idea of paying special consideration when we have, uh, you know, patients who have have those sorts of special concerns, special considerations to to take into uh, into consideration. And I know another group that is commonly tested on the NCLEX is the elderly. And I'm curious if there are specific concerns we should keep in mind when we're focused on any sort of NCLEX question that might involve the elderly? That is good. Actually, one of the things I tell people when they're taking the NCLEX is pay attention to ages. Um, As a nursing instructor, I've written 72-year-old woman, blah, 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 or 12-year-old, and I just make up the, the ages. 
But in the NCLEX, they give you the age for a reason. It means something. Now, the age can be 75, but the age can be the word elderly. And so I always tell students to pay attention to it, write it on your whiteboard, because obviously things are different for elderly patients versus your middle-aged patient. And I'm glad you asked that, because there are a few that I want to talk to you about. One of them, when you're specifically talking about pharmacology or medications, is the fact that they have decreased renal function. Their kidneys don't work as well as my kidneys, okay? And so because of that, that means any medication they take, because most meds, 90% of meds, are actually removed from your body through your kidneys. Well, if your kidneys aren't doing so great because you're elderly and that's just part of getting older, then you have a risk for it not filtering that med. That means that med's hanging out in this person's body for longer periods of time, which increases the risk for toxicity. So the one thing I want people to keep in mind is if you have an elderly patient and there's any medication listed, think to yourself, could this be lead to renal toxicity? The other thing is we've got patients who also have elderly patients are usually on, mm, I think the last I looked at was about eight to 10 meds daily. Wow. Well, unfortunately, there's something called polypharmacy because we've got our primary care physician and then we have our gastroenterologist and then we have our cardiologist and we're seeing multiple physicians or multiple healthcare providers. We're very likely to forget to tell Mm, the gastroenterologist about this med. So he gives us a med, oops, but we go home and figure out we actually are on that med, but maybe you didn't realize that. And so now I'm doubling up on the same med. Or I may, one time the med's called the generic and the next time the med's called the brand name. And I didn't know that because, you know, I'm not a pharmacist and I, maybe I'm not a nurse or anything. And so um, there's a lot of problems with that, what we call polypharmacy, because they're getting a lot of meds from different places, why, which is why it's such a concern that we make sure that elderly patients, we know exactly what they're taking. And then the third thing I want to talk about for elderly patients is we seem to think in the real world that elderly patients being confused is normal. It is not normal in the real world and it is not normal definitely in the NCLEX. And anytime you see an elderly patient and confusion, you need to think something is wrong. And could that be they have some toxicity buildup for meds. Could that be they're taking the same daggone med, polypharmacy, they've got the same med, but it's called something different or it's a different color. And so could that be also causing confusion? The other thing about confusion for elderly patients is the, um, anytime you see a patient uh, that's elderly and confused, the first thing I want you to think about is medications. Could it be due to a medication buildup? Could it be due to having the same duplicate medication? Also, could it be to a urinary tract infection? It sounds really odd, but as 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50-year-olds, urinary tract infections have one type of symptoms. Elderly patients don't have those symptoms. They don't have the burning. They don't have the frequency that you think about urinary tract infection. The only thing they show is confusion. That's it. That's all they show. So anytime you see an elderly patient that's confused, think, could this be an overdose of the med or a duplicate of the med? Or, oh my goodness, could this be a urinary tract infection? And there's something I used to say. It says, if I am not me, please check my pee. I am elderly. If you keep <laughs> that in mind, it may help you remember, oh yeah, if you're confused and you're elderly, please check my pee. See if it's a urinary tract infection.
Well, that's an awesome, uh, again, another mnemonic for, uh, for folks to take away from, uh, from this discussion. <laughs> uh, it sounds like when, we come, when, when it comes to the elderly on the NCLEX then, or even just in nursing practice, uh, really pay attention to that uh, decreased renal function, the uh, polypharmacy effects, uh, as well as uh, contusion. Sounds like those are the, the, the top three takeaways from uh, elderly questions uh, or questions involving the elderly on the NCLEX. And, uh, you know, Jenny, up to this point, I know we've talked a lot about uh, the different drugs to know, the different side effects, uh, special considerations, and I'm curious if there's anything else that we need to know when it comes to uh, NCLEX pharmacology questions. And, and that's funny because a lot of people think, okay, so the pharmacology questions are just meds. Right. You know, the pharmacology um, is 15% of the NCLEX. It's one of those, what we call the top three. But the other thing that comes along with pharmacology, and we don't think about it as pharmacology, but it is, and that is our fluids, our IV fluids that we give patients. There are actually four types. Um, we talk about isotonic, hypertonic, hypotonic, and then we talk about head of starch. And the, the way I have remembered them since I was in nursing school might be helpful. It's all, like I tell my students, I'll give you a tip, and if you don't want it, just ignore it. If it works, great. Put it in your toolbox and hang on to it. But isotonic has the letter I in it. And so I always think about this kind of medication. When I give isotonic fluid, it stays where I put it. So I, we use it for rehydration. We use it for pre-op and post-op. We're looking at lactated ringers and um, normal saline. So isotonic, the letter I, it stays where I put it. When we go to the next one, we look at hypertonic. If you write the word hypertonic out, you see the letter E in hyper. And I always think about the E helps me remember it. That when I give this fluid, it will enter the vascular space. I give this fluid to the patient, it goes right into the vascular space. So that means it would increase my blood pressure. So if I have a patient has low blood pressure, I want to give a hypertonic, the E, um, because I'm going to have that fluid enter that vascular space. And we're looking at D10, um, 3% normal saline, and sodium bicarb. The same way when you look at hypotonic, well, I see the O in hypo, and I think of what's the O stand for? Out of, out of vascular space. So I use that if I've got a patient with a really high blood pressure and I need to decrease it, I want a hypotonic, bring it out of the vascular space, your D5W and your 0.45% normal saline. And then the last med that I see a lot of students forget about, because you don't use it often, is head of starch. Head of starch is different than the other three. It's actually a colloid solution, and we use it as a fluid volume expander. So we use it when a patient has an increased blood loss from a trauma, an accident, whatever. So head of starch is a good, quick med that we can use. It's a volume expander. Those are the four... Um, IV fluids that you need to make sure you really understand, but I think ISO, the I, it stays where I put it. Hyper, the E, enters the vascular space, and hypo, the O, out of the vascular space can be a way to remember what those meds are and what they are used for. Well, that's all really great advice, and I've written it all down. I mean, there's just a ton of information that we've even discussed up until this point, and then now we add uh, fluids into the mix as well. And I guess as long as we're on the subject, are there any other tips that you might offer, things that you see students commonly struggle with when it comes to pharmacology, or things you see that come up a lot in the NCLEX, or just things you know would be really great for students to concentrate and study on when they're preparing for the NCLEX? Actually, 
one of the things that we don't think about and we probably has only come up in the last five to ten years is when we ask a patient what type of meds are you on we sort of forget that herbs vitamins uh over the counter kind of things are te technically medications but when you ask someone meds they think medications that are prescribed by a provider and so we have to say specifically are you on any herbal medications any vitamins and the reason that's important is there are actually four herbs ginger ginkgo ginseng and garlic we call them the four g's okay, they all start with g <laughs> exactly we've got the four g's and the reason that would be important is they have an increased risk for bleeding if you're on any of these four well you take that with an antiplatelet or any other medication that could increase bleeding and you know, as i call it you've got a double whammy so i try to make students aware that if your patient is taking one of those four ginger ginkgo ginseng and garlic one of the four g's then you need to think about increased bleeding what other medications are they taking that could double their chance of having bleeding or let's say they're taking that med and had a motor vehicle accident that'd be good to know that they're on this herb because they're going to have an increased risk for bleeding so that's one of the tips i want to share another one i want to remind you is is the is digoxin and when i used to teach this in clinicals and in class i always made students very nervous when they gave dig and i really want you to stay nervous when you give dig because it is a medication that um, quickly becomes toxic it has one of those small therapeutic ranges which means by the time it's actually doing its job it very quickly can turn around and be toxic to the body and so you need to keep in mind mm, what are some signs and symptoms of dig toxicity you've got your nausea and vomiting that's a very very early sign halos um, around your eyes diarrhea irregular heart rate those are signs and symptoms of dig toxicity and you need to be watching that another one we need to be concerned about is you need to be worried about the amount of potassium your patient is on when they're taking DIG. And here's why. DIG competes with potassium for binding sites. You know, there's, there's binding sites in your body and it, DIG wants it, but potassium wants it. So if we've got low potassium, that increases your risk for DIG toxicity. So we have to pay really close attention to DIG what's toxic, what's therapeutic, 0.5 to 2.0, that's our small range that you're allowed to be therapeutic, and um, what type of potassium is the patient increasing the potassium, or on they are, are they on another medication that decreases potassium? So the second thing is definitely digoxin. The other thing I think students forget about is we always think about NSAIDs. You've got your ibuprofen and that kind of medication that causes or potentiates bleeding. Well, we don't think about it, but so does acetaminophen, so does Tylenol. Because um, we think about more about ibuprofen, you may see the word Tylenol just to sort of, or acetaminophen actually, and you're going to ignore it. But keep in mind, it is hepatotoxic. Remember, you can only take a certain amount of acetaminophen in one day. So yes, it can also potentiate bleeding. So just keep that in the back of your mind. There are some risks for taking acetaminophen, not just your ibuprofen. And then the last thing I want to keep in mind is we learned about it in school and then it fell off the radar because you didn't see it often and that's something called cross sensitivity. Cross sensitivity is when you take one medication and you might have um, reaction to it. For instance, the biggest cross sensitivity drugs are penicillin. 
and cephalosporins. So for instance, I'm technically, I actually am allergic to penicillin. I break out in hives. And so that's fine and dandy, so you don't give me penicillin. We all understand that. But there's medications that are very similar makeup to penicillin, and they're called cephalosporins. And that means if I'm allergic to a cillin and you give me a medication that's very closely made the same way, I could also have side effects. So you're just careful if you can possibly not give that medication or question that medication if a provider wants to give it. Pay attention to your cillins and your cephalosporins. They're very chemically made almost the same. So if I'm reacting to one, I very well can react to the other. All right. And I mean, those are, those are excellent tips. And I think a couple of things are apparent just based on all the questions we've already asked. I know, I know we could talk about this for probably hours. Uh, there just sounds like there is a lot to know for pharmacology on the NCLEX. And it also sounds like you are, you know, probably all of it, if not more of it. And it's, it's clear just talking to you that you're, you're very passionate about this subject and, and also know a lot about it. So again, great, great to have you here. When it comes to students starting to prepare for the NCLEX and specifically knowing how to, to study, I mean, what are the resources students can use to uh, help and supplement all their studying for, uh, for pharmacology questions on the NCLEX? That's a really good question, and thankfully, Kaplan has done such a good job with resources. They, they hear the students saying, help with farm, help with farm, and so one of the things is our content book is a, or electronic book is a great um, resource, but if students need another, feel like they need some more resources, we have the NCLEX, uh, the Kaplan NCLEX RN Drug Guide. I think we're on the sixth edition, the 300 meds you need to know for the exam. Um, this is good for RNs. It's also good for PNs. You can purchase it. Um, it's, it's small. It fits in your purse, ladies. If it's in your purse, guys, you're just going to have to hang on to it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's small, but it's the top 300 meds that you're most likely going to see on the NCLEX. And they're actually, it's perforated, so you could cut it out and make it note cards if you're a note card kind of learner. The other thing is students have constantly asked us, I need flashcards. I need flashcards. That's what I'm used to studying my farm because that's how I did it in nursing school. So now... We have, the App Store has the NCLEX RN medication flashcards by Kaplan, um, and that is definitely a small purchase, but you can purchase those, and then we also have it as a Google Play, the NCLEX RN medication flashcards by Kaplan. So those are two other resources that you can purchase on your own, and that's if you're one of those students who knows that pharmacology is a weakness for you, and that is something that you need to make stronger and build up. Um, those are two great resources resources that could be helpful. That's great, Jenny. And, and for anyone at, uh, who's listening right now who's just furiously uh, writing down the names of those resources, we'll be sure to, uh, to provide links for those resources in the uh, description of this podcast episode. And again, you can purchase, as, as Jenny said, the, uh, the, the content review guide, the NCLEX RN or the NCLEX PN content review guide from Kaplan on amazon.com, as well as the, uh, the drug guide that Jenny mentioned, the 300 medications you need to know for the NCLEX. That's also available on Amazon. And then either, as Jenny mentioned, on iTunes uh, or the Google Play Store, Kaplan also has that medications flashcards app for the NCLEX. So, uh, so thanks for providing all those resources, Jenny. And uh, my last question for you, because I know that at this point, we've been chatting for about a half an hour, and uh, we've talked about so much, and I'm sure a lot of students may be uh, 
anxious out there, a lot of our listeners might be just uh, realizing there's a lot that they need to know for the NCLEX. So what advice would you provide to students to, to, to provide some confidence and also give some direction as to what that, that first step should be from here? That's a really good question. I think the first step would, would be looking at classifications. I would, um, I'd pull up in a farm book, I'd pull up my content book, I'd pull up one of these resources we've talked to you about, and I would start looking at the beginning, what are my classifications of meds? My antihypertensive, um, my GI meds, my respiratory meds, my um, endocrine meds, and I would I'd look at my classifications. I had a student who emailed me literally last week and said, I have a timer, an egg timer, and every hour I look at a whole new classification and I try to look at them and so that um, the more I look at them rather than memorize, because that word is a little scary, yeah. the more I look at them, the more they become familiar to me. So remember those three things, classifications, family, and safety. I mean, we've covered a lot of stuff, but if you put it all in one broad general thing, it really is all back to classifications of meds families of meds and safety considerations and and you can do it it's it's a long process especially if um, generics are not how you learned in school that may be um, one of those times you got to pull out those flashcards or your note cards but if you look at classifications families and safeties I, I think you're going to do just fine I love it. Yeah. Thanks for the advice, Jenny. And uh, for, again, any listener at home who's interested in learning a little bit more about pharmacology, getting some free resources as well for uh, learning more about this topic, you can visit our website, which is kaplannursing.com. We do offer uh, a lot of free resources for being able to learn more about all the different subjects that come up on the NCLEX. And as I mentioned in the beginning, and again, I will also provide the link for this in the description for today's podcast episode, Jenny also did a, a really fantastic session on Facebook, on, on Kaplan's Facebook page for pharmacology, which you can find at facebook.com slash Kaplan NCLEX prep. And Jenny, I want to thank you so much for being here. This has been incredibly informative and very, very helpful. So I want to thank you so much. And again, it's been a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. It's been great. Thank you. Wonderful. 